Well, welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. The Unstoppable Freedom Alliance is activating a movement of millions of everyday Americans with a passion for freedom. And even though freedom is under attack everywhere in American life and even around the world, here's the good news. There's a growing movement across the country to do something to stand up, to fight back and defend our liberties. Well, today we're joined by someone who is doing just that. Our guest today is Brian Buffini, real estate guru, entrepreneur. He's going to be embarrassed by this intro. Man of God, for sure. Husband and father, author and speaker, founder of America's largest corporate coaching company, Buffini and Company, an award-winning podcaster, and now the founder of his latest endeavor, It's a Good Life. Brian, welcome to Unstoppable Freedom. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. I've been looking forward to this. Buddy, I, ever since we connected uh, months ago, we've had that kindred spirit. I think it has something to do with the fact that we're both Irish. Could that Must be part be. of it? Must be. You know, it runs deep. You know, we, we keep our, uh, the bloodlines run deep with the patties, you know? Yes. Yes, indeed. But you sound more Irish than I do. <laughs> <laughs> you sound more, I want that. I either Australian or Irish. I need yeah. one of those accents, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Although well, Australia is not too much fun these days. Oh boy. Oh boy. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit yeah. today for sure. Well, why don't we start here? Why don't we, why don't you tell, uh, tell our audience a bit about your story, about mm -hmm. your roots in Ireland and your journey to America? <clears throat> yeah, it, it'll probably, in my story, will probably come out the, the DNA on why I'm so passionate about America and what it means to me and, and many people like myself. So, you know, I grew up the south side of Dublin, born in the mid-60s. Um, Ireland at the time, 60s through the mid eighties was classified as a third world uh, economic uh, power. If you will, we were, <laughs> we were classified below half the African countries wow. and people don't have that view, especially Americans who all have Irish ancestry and so on and so forth. Look back at Ireland and the green Hills and the hospitality and the Guinness and the music and all of this stuff. Uh, they wouldn't have been too acquainted, you know, for 150 years following the famine, our number one export was people. Mm. And that's why there's Irish people all over the world. And it was in our DNA and struggle and strife was kind of in our DNA. Now, the thing about it is when that's your DNA, you kind of get used to it. So I grew up in a home, 720 square feet, five boys and a girl, grandparents on the weekend, you know, 10 people in a small little house and one bathroom. You know, I used to tell people the good sign was the good news was you never got a cold seat when you went to the toilet. You know what I mean? Someone had just been there before you. So <laughs> listen, I got to tell you. I feel really bad for your sister. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, she was the boss. She I... was the boss. She was the big boss. She was the oldest five foot two. Oh, um, we used to say she got thrown out of the Gestapo for cruelty, you know, so <laughs> she was tough. And uh, she's, yeah. she's the last one still living in Ireland. She's up in the north of Ireland. Wow. And um, but uh, my parents still live in the same house. They bought it in 1957. I talked to them this morning on the way in to do the show. Ninety one and 90 years old. Uh, great characters. They were the making of me. My dad was a fifth generation house painter, really shaped me uh, between those two. My father was all about, can you put your name to it? When you did your work, can you put your name to it? My mother was all about, you can do it, Briny. And those two phrases were the, the sustaining things I took with me. So I grew up, I was, I was a, a pretty good athlete, won national championships in soccer. Uh, plan to continue on with sports. And as a 19 year old, I'd done two years of college, like a community college. Hmm. Um, I, 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 and I'll circle back to this later on. A subject that I was told to study based on at that time in Europe, you 
your grades get you this. You get to either study this subject or that subject. And that's again, what were the, what were the two forestry or accounting? Those were the two choices. <laughs> so I could either go be in the woods or be an accountant. And at that time, and people, it was a European scholarship. We didn't have money to go to school. Uh, and so this is, again, some of the stuff Americans would not be familiar with. And this is this is in the 1984. And, you know, you're what you, you know, I got to go to college. I don't know what my major is. I'm talking to my kids and I think I'm switching my major. Where I was uh, at the time None of that. No, you're going here. You're going there. So I did me two years. People in America, we, we do not have a reference for that, Brian. We, we do not understand that. You know, even now I've got two in college. I've got a senior yeah. and a freshman, my son and daughter, two, two of my kids. And, you know, part of it was, hey, college should not be about discovery alone. You should have a pathway. You should yeah. have a, an idea of where you're going. Otherwise, it's going to be unproductive. We're going to spend a lot of money in a short amount of time for you to figure it out. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I would say the bigger picture is I, I've I've said this in front of millions of people on stage in America and through broadcast that the only people who don't know how good America is are a the people who live here and the people who cover it in the media on a daily basis. Wow. And so the rest of the world, no matter what anybody says, mm -hmm. the rest of the world knows what America is. The rest of the world admires it, envies it resents it, whatever you want to say, but the rest of the world given a chance. There's a reason why people are coming to America in droves, yeah. both legally and illegally. You know, they're not, you know, I live in San Diego. They don't have police stopping San Diegans going down into Tijuana. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. And so, and I've been saying that for 35 years. Now it's politically hot and whatever else, but yeah. the truth of the matter is, you know, I, I came here. I knew nobody. I was 19 years old. I I uh, my brother had had emigrated and had just moved up to Laguna Beach. They had, he was starting a clothing business mm. and they sold T-shirts and sweatshirts and things like that. And so during the summer, I, I basically um, I I my goal was I was coming to San Diego. I was going to sell T-shirts at the beach. <laughs> I wanted to get a suntan and meet suntanned women. That was my goal. <laughs> and here's what happened. I'm still pale. I end up marrying an African-American. So I, I went way over on the suntan all the way to a gal who was on the U.S. Olympic volleyball team. Gosh, and uh, and life turned out different. You know, I, I was selling T-shirts. I was doing my thing. I, I what happened for me, I became a Christian. I moved in hmm. to a house with the fella who was his name was Dan Cardo. And he, he looked like a Ken doll, 26 years of age, fit as a fiddle. He was a surfer. And he had a big job. He was a it was a tugboat captain. And so he had this house in Pacific Beach, this beautiful area in San Diego. I was renting a room. And every day I would this guy, I'd get up at 530 to go for a workout. And this guy's in the corner reading his Bible, having a cup of coffee. I'd come back from my workout. We'd talk. And I just had never had a conversation with anybody like this before. I never talked to anybody like this before. And he was um, he had this beautiful girlfriend. I mean, just. We used to call them Ken and Barbie, right? They were beautiful people. And they go, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be we're abstaining until we get married. And I hadn't I hadn't been exposed to that. And uh, so I'm like, OK, and I just saw this guy's life. He lived it. And every day was very compelling to me. It wasn't religious. It was very relationship driven. And then I, he took me to church and there was a bunch of young people and there was lots of cool music and there was lots of great energy. And then there was stuff that really spoke to me. So over the course. Of, I came to America for for different reasons. Yeah. 
And then October 7, 1986, I kind of gave my life to Christ and everything was supposed to be, you know, peachy. And this is why this whole message about the good life. Yes. Is I'm on a spiritual high. Hmm. I'm, you know, eyes are wide open, looking at the world, excited about everything. I'm new to America. And 23 days later, I get in a motorcycle accident that almost ends my life. And uh, it was actually my roommate's fiance that kind of bugged me to wear a helmet because she didn't have to wear a helmet back in those days. Right. So freedom comes with responsibility. Yes. I put the helmet on that day and that I got I'm coming down a a road of 45 miles an hour. A guy pulls across me. I hit him. Never touched the brakes. Hit him at 45. Smashed on impact. Went over the top. Smashed my helmet. Ripped the face guard off. And uh, it was a rough deal. It was a rough deal. And um, I was planning to go back to Ireland. That was my plan. Uh, but and at the time, it didn't seem like it was good. But it turned out that motorcycle accident changed everything for me, changed my whole life, changed the trajectory where I would go. Mm-hmm. I, I owed a bunch of money. I had 13 surgeries over the course of two years because I had gangrene. They were going to amputate my leg. They were going to do all this stuff. Um, and so I owed a bunch of money over the course of the next two years. I'm a long way from home. My folks don't have any money. And um, and here I was at the very bottom of the economic barrel. Uh, I had faith, but I, I had nothing else going for me. And um, during that time, I got in a real estate business. And one of the reasons for it is you could get your license for ninety nine dollars, which is about what I could afford. And and here's the magic. Here's here's the magic of America that anybody listening to this today who is American won't even see this, right? They say a fish discovers water last, right? But think about this. I'm, I'm 19. I'm broke. I have serious injuries. I have no experience. I get my license. Uh, I get a shot to be brought into a real estate company. So first of all, they hired me. Amazing. But second of all, people gave me a shot. Yeah. And this is the thing about America that is very different than many places in the world. I mean, imagine... A young fellow coming in, he's got a, I was on crutches for a while. I mean, I'd have all these surgeries, rods and screws and whatever. I come into their home and I'm about to sell the single largest asset in their life. And here's this young fellow with a busted leg and uh, a borrowed car. And they'd look me in the eye and say, okay, I, I, you got good energy. I like where you're coming from. I'm going to give you a shot. Amazing. And they gave me a shot. And you don't I mean, speak then, great American English at this point. You, you know, oh, I was as thick as a bread. I talk more like Conor McGregor when I got off the boat. You know, I was like, oh, you want to say you want to sell your bleeding house? I mean, I, I learned how to slow down my speech because I in sales uh, people would go, what, what, what? And I'm like, OK, I need to start finding out how to do a bit more like you. But um, here, here's here's a little bit on the fast forward of that, Jimmy, is, you know, I go from being 250 grand in debt as a 19 year old to be in debt free in two years to being a millionaire by the time I'm 26 um, to starting a coaching and training company at 28. At 28, I would have 60-year-old realtors and 50-year-old realtors sit in a ballroom. And I would say, well, here's what I do and here's how I made it and here's how I became successful. And they, and they gave me a shot. And they went, I really like this guy. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've been, I, I've today, I, our company trains in over 40 countries. Amazing. And I've been all over the world. And I'm telling you, Growing up in Ireland, whatever, a 28-year-old kid comes walking in. People are like, who's your man? You're going to tell me what to do? What do you? Of course. And here it is. And it's, like I say, open, 
yes. want to grow, desire to change, willing to take a risk, willing, willing to go with something, something new comes along, excited to try something new as opposed to stuck in their ways. Mm. And that's why, like, I just, you know, when I travel the world, I appreciate the world. I, I tell my kids, God does not speak with an American accent. God, Jesus didn't walk the earth in an American flag. You know, and sometimes I've been to churches and places where they think God's American. Yes. And, and, you know, and I've traveled all over the world extensively, which I think if more Americans did, you would grow in a massive appreciation for the place you come from. Yes. And um, all, all I can say is every time I get home to the States, I kiss the ground. That's and cool. this this place gave me a shot. Mm. It gave me a chance. Uh, it allowed me to prosper. Uh you know, I went through these terrible times. I met the love of my life. Beverly and I have been married 31 years. I have six great kids that are all achieving and one's in the military for the U.S. And one is the uh, rides. Uh, she's just qualified for the World Cup for U.S. Equestrian. I have, you know, I've, I've got patriots. I've got fired up kids who love the country, who've been taught to love the country. Yes. Um, and uh, then I started a coaching business. And the same thing happened. And the same as we were willing to provide something great, really be concerned about people, put our best foot forward. People told their friends, they told their competitors to come and join us. I mean, no, where are you, where would you get this? Yeah. Where you have people, we were training in realtors and they'd go down to the hall and someone in the office and they'd say, this company just changed my life. You need to get involved in it. Like that doesn't happen everywhere. Never. And so, you know, the next thing you know, you know, here we are and we had hundreds of employees and, We've trained over 3 million people all over the world and built this fantastic business. And, uh, and that's why even now I, I started the podcast to, to try to, you know, really encourage people, right? Cause we're all, everybody's a little beat up right now. And, uh, to, to share with people that it is a good life, that it is a good life. And here's what I can tell you. Um, I travel the world and it's easy, you know, go to different places. Like a lot of, a lot of American speakers will go to Canada and because Canada's got the little brother thing going on and they'll beat up on the States because it's easy to get a quick joke. And I go in there and go, hey, let me tell you, I love being in Canada. I connect with the people, but you got to know what I believe. America's the greatest country I've ever seen in my life. And I, uh, I will tell them why. And I, and I do that all across America because um, and, I, and maybe it takes an immigrant, someone who grew up without to come here to be able to see it and go, this is unbelievable. I think so. Gosh, you know, I, first of all, I feel like I just entered into your story and uh, you've inspired me in a, in a whole bunch of ways. And I, I have two pages of notes that I want to follow up on with you. I mean, the first first thought was you have lived the American dream. Mm -hmm. And now uh, and so I would make this observation. Most Americans don't live the American dream, mm -hmm. but you came to this country and you actually have lived the promise you've lived the this idea that no matter where you start you can finish somewhere in mm -hmm. in an an amazing place right you've lived that you've had success and you you talked about two things in the very opening you said your parents taught you to you got to be able to put your name on it and you've got to uh, and you can do it mm -hmm. so how important is perspective how important is your mindset because our kids today are being taught that america is not exceptional that it's not special. How important is that? Well, uh, it's, it's everything, right? I mean, I, I actually, I was at a conference years ago and they had this Harvard professor in there and so on and so forth. And they did this study that said 52% of Americans believe the, the um, 52% of millennials believe the American dream was no longer available to them. Mm -hmm. 
And 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 all these people in this giant ballroom, there's thousands of people and there people were clapping and cheering as they do, like on a morning daytime shock talk show where people say things that conform and everybody claps and cheers. And I got red in the face. I'm a, I'm a pretty accomplished presenter. I've done thousands of seminars and this, I was pissed, Jimmy. Oh, and I just said, you guys are talking out your ear. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I actually got I came back to my office. I talked to David Lally, you know, our great producers oh. here. I go, David, we're going to do something we've never done. We're going to write a book. Mm. And I wrote a book called The Emigrant Edge, which became a huge bestseller. Um, and and here's what I did, because I'm like, I'm not going to say that my story is uh, how, how great Brian Buffini is. The mm. truth of the matter is it's so bloody commonplace. Mm. It's so shockingly commonplace. So what I did was I interviewed hundreds of people who had come to America with nothing. And by the way, in worse situations than me, I had the motorcycle accident. Many of these people come and they don't speak the language. Some of them, they have their families overseas for nine years while they're saving money to bring their spouse over and things like that. And basically, I broke it all down to seven principles, seven principles that anybody had. But yes. the, the other part that I wanted to awaken in people, you know, Jimmy, your people didn't come from Colorado. That's right. You know, and if you think about it, people who came to America, they were they were people who decided to leave. Now, there's there's a there's a there's a strain here. And I know how racially divided things can be now in communication. I, I married an African-American. I have six mixed race kids. Yes. And I tell them this. People came from all over the world to America and they were the risk takers. They were the people who wanted something better. They were willing to risk life and limb. Some didn't make it. Many an Irish person died on the way trying to make America and the same for other people. People came from all over the world. I said, you also have a part of your uh, DNA where you, the African-American side of your family didn't want to come here, mm. but did come here. And the opportunity has been here. And so, uh, you know, the dynamic is that this is a nation of people who came from somewhere else and made the best of it. Yeah. And in, if you dig down in the DNA of who this country is, Everybody came from somewhere for something better. It's in the DNA of the whole country. Mm. And let me let me share this with you, Jimmy. This will be eye opening for you. A number of years ago, um, I've been I was asked to do a European tour. So our systems, the average realtor in America makes 10 times using our systems what the average realtor does. Right. So we've been at this thing for 25 years. So the Europeans are like, hey, we need to do this and we need to get this going. So every major real estate association, and it started in Portugal, we went to Spain, we went to Greece, we went to Austria, we went to Germany, uh, we ended up in Israel. We, anyway, we did nine countries, and sometimes they'd bring, you know, there was one time I did a seminar in Austria, there was 11 different languages in the room, right? This is kind of a whole other story. So I would interview the head of each country's association, and sometimes they'd have government officials there. Uh, sometimes, you know, from their state departments, there's a big deal and thousands of people. It was a huge tour all over Europe. Well, we did 11 of these events. And before each one, I had asked the head of this association, what's the number one thing that I can help your people with? Right. So tell me your audience. What do they need? What can I give them? Mm. And in one capacity or another, every single one of them said, can you help our people have more ambition? Huh. Now, Jimmy, Gee. I have done over 2000 seminars in the US and Canada. 
And never once in my pre-conference interviews did anybody ever tell me that the audience needed to learn how to be ambitious. Because it's in the DNA. It's why people do. It's why people go to these events. It's why it's in American culture. It's even for all the talk and all the politicized and all the stuff that's being taught in the colleges. It's in people's DNA to do better, to be better, to grow. And what people don't understand is that these philosophies that people are toying around with, there's a lot of unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. The biggest of which in regards to a societal evolution is the lack of ambition. Can you help our people be more ambitious? And you know what the answer is? No, I can't. Right. I can expose them to people who are. I can expose them to people who did. But the fact of the matter is that healthy, not a selfish ambition, that healthy ambition that wants to grow, that wants to develop, that wants to be better, that wants to be more. Yes, Uh, yes, I I want the spoils of war. Yes, I'd like to see, you know, make a few more bucks or have a nicer house. Those are all healthy things, but not just for that, but for the for the feeling of being alive and growing. That is in the DNA of this country. That's been here for forever. And I'll be candid with you. The rest of the world is just waking up to that stuff now. Jeez. Yeah. And I think, but what a great story though. Right. And I think you're exactly right. I think one of the dangers of the, the Marxist ideology, this attraction to socialism, which is very difficult for someone like you or I to, to get our head around why that's attractive. You know, this, this, um, desire for safety and security over, over all else, over accomplishment, over, like you said, that growth mindset, wanting to do something important. And I think you and I are both men of God. We're, we're people of faith. We love, we love God. And I believe that we are made to grow. We're made for the abundant life. I mean, when Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to the full, he means I've come to give you a, a rich, satisfying, meaningful life, not just for you, but for the betterment of others, for the mm-hmm. blessing of others and the glory of God. So we are made uh, in the image of God. We're made to do great things. We're made to grow. So it's almost a foreign idea when someone says, hey, we want everything taken care of for us. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that I think there is this growing, you know, let's shift gears a little bit there. What are some of the things that you're seeing right now in America? What are some of the things that you're seeing that caused you the greatest concern relative to the American way, relative to freedom, relative to the good life? Well, and I, again, I'll, I'll say things that I've been saying for decades. So it's not in reaction. You know, I, I like to keep a bigger perspective. Like there's things everybody gets caught up in today and the immediacy of today, everybody's blown out. You know, like the whole world has spent two and a half years talking about a virus that, that years from now, it'll be something else. You know what I mean? And we get caught up in these things and, and um, we lose, you know, we lose sight of the bigger picture. Uh, I was at a success seminar. I don't know if you remember, Peter Lowe used to do these things. Oh, yeah. Zig Ziglar was a friend of mine and Zig was at it. And so I went along with Zig's guest and so on and so forth. And they had they had uh, Mikhail Gorbachev. Now, the Berlin Wall had come down. What was it? Eighty nine, maybe. Hmm. And this was nineteen ninety four. And so Peter Lowe, through an interpreter, is doing an interview with Mikhail Gorbachev. It was kind of a wild interview and so on and so forth. And he said, well, you know, Russia is going through all these changes and China has kind of got entrepreneurism inside in different ways. He goes, where is the purest form of communism today? Now, this was 1994. 
there were 10,000 people there. It was in San Diego. So there's there's many witnesses. And Mikhail Gorbachev said the purest form of communism exists in the universities of America. Oh, and I was kind of static. Now, I thought, is he being provocative? And then he went on to explain. So I've had six kids and I've put six kids uh, and I've six. I've, I've a couple, three kids still in college. I put six th- kids through the American education system and um, paid a lot of money for it. Some of them are in scholarships and so on and so forth. But um, what I will tell you, and some of them went to uh, private Christian colleges. Some went to public school. They all went to different places. Right. Um, what I would say is first and foremost that um, there is not great balance in our education system anymore. Mm-hmm. There is not great experience being taught in our education system anymore. Uh, so my kids, for example, have grown up with a serial entrepreneur who's a rags to riches guy, <laughs> you know, you know, flying around the world in their own jet for 17 years type thing. And yet they would get a C in a, in a business class uh, on writing about, you know, they, they wrote, one of my kids wrote a phenomenal paper on our business mm. and the, the teacher, you know, basically ended up failing them because they said, you need to know that anyone who owns a business who makes a profit basically does it by extorting and exploiting their employees and their customers. That's the only way they can make a profit. And so here's some professor, the guy's never run a lemonade stand in his life <laughs> and so on and so forth. And so, like those kinds of examples where, you know, and I think Americans to some degree have had the, hey, my kids naturally, they go from high school to college. It's kind of like, you know, it's junior high, high school, college, junior high, high school, college. And then I'm going to, and, and hardworking people work their butts off for years and save their money and so on and so forth and sent their kids off to school. And rather than, hey, they're going to get, they should, when they're young, get exposed to different philosophies and ideas and be able to know what they believe and why they believe it with their faith, with their values. They need to be their own person, not just regurgitate what mom and dad said. All that stuff is good. I wanted my kids in the arena to hear diversity of thought and so on and so forth. But the truth of the matter is now what's happened is we have like advocacy in in the school Mm -hmm. system. So I think I think that's a big that's a big dynamic. And um and it's getting exposed. It's getting exposed. Like people are shocked right now at the changes going on in the culture. That stuff's been going on for years. Mikhail Gorbachev said that in 1994. That is, I mean, I wrote down the date because it's so remarkable. And I, and you're right. This is one of the biggest battleground opportunities we have right now is for the education. It's really for the minds of, of the next generation. And we, unfortunately, we're 30 or 40 years behind right now. So we're so far behind on this ideology. And one of the things that we've discovered is this isn't about education anymore. This is about indoctrination. There is an be. ideology, you know, can be. like there's some great teachers out there. Yes. Yeah. There's some there's some great institutions out there. There's some great places out there. Yes. Um, but it's ultimately like so I have a daughter at Hillsdale College. Mm, now, fantastic. people could argue that, oh, that's a conservative school and this thing. Do. But their their credo is we're not going to teach you what to think. We're going to teach you how to think. That's right. And she's been in classes where they've exposed her to both sides of the argument. And she's like, this is kind of radically different than what I exposed. So that, that is one thing. And, yes. and here's what happened. You know, we homeschooled our kids through high school. Hmm. Here's the dynamic. There's a lot of people during COVID got exposed to hearing all the stuff that their kids were being taught. And not all the parents were thrilled about what they were being taught. Yeah. One of the reasons we have right now, uh, one element of what's called the great resignation and tens of millions of people left their jobs in the last 12 months in the United States. Yeah. And there's people who are taking early retirement. 
There's people who are leaving to go get a better job because there's 11 million open jobs in the US. Mm. And some people, it turns out, are staying home with their kids yeah. to aid in their education. And one of the biggest explosions we have right now is in is in forms of home education. So, you yeah. know, here, here's the thing. You know, you say you can't fool all the people all the time, you know. And um, so I just say this again, you say education, you're talking about you're talking about millions of people in, in, a, in a profession. And anyone who judges by the group is a fool yes. by the group. Right. There's, there's a lot of good teachers. There's a lot of good curriculum. There's a lot of good stuff. But here's the dynamic where people weren't for it, what influenced America for quite some time is that kids weren't taught how to think. They were taught what to think and right. grades and papers and made to feel a certain way or a whole bunch of kids who actually don't feel comfortable speaking up on campuses. Yeah. You know, I mean, and campuses that were known for their liberality, you know, liberal arts education was always the best education. And um, the word liberal, what it means, there's some really great connotations to that, that you have freedom of speech, which is one of the freedoms we're granted. Like yes. I have a son who does very dangerous work in the U.S. military who says I'm willing to die for someone who's willing to burn my flag. Mm hmm. Yeah. Right. Now, the good old red meat eating, you know, <laughs> not kill a commie for Christ type of dude is going, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. He, he says, I'm willing to fight and to die for a fellow American who wants to burn the very flag that I'm fighting for, yeah. because that is their freedom and that is their right. That's right. Okay? People and, can have. And as and as offensive as that may be to many yeah. people, which yeah. it is to me, it is I'm sure. to you and him. But but they have that freedom to do it. Right. Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing from the government. And, and as an outsider looking in, America is an eagle. Hmm. You need a left wing and you need a right wing in order to fly. Otherwise, you just fly in circles. Yes. And so that's the thing. And so, you know what? The real deal is what are shared values? Yes. What what does who is America? What is America? What does it stand for? And again, it just America has always been this great idea. And it's it's uh, I don't worship America. I worship God. Yes. But I, I found the freedom to do that here. I found the freedom to succeed here. I found a freedom amongst the people here. And right now it's going through a season. And, you know, like America went through seasons in the past. There were the Salem witch trials. Right. And that was like that was a goofy season. Right. And there there's lots of season. There was a season to an Irishman. There was a season where they had prohibition and you couldn't get a drink. It was interesting <laughs> that at the same time that you had the Great Depression, you also couldn't have a beer. And I was like, those two things don't belong together. If you're, if you're gonna be broke, you should at least be able to have a beer, you know? Were you a bootlegger? I mean, that that's the real question. Were you a bootlegger? You I, if been. I was here, I would have been. I promise you sure. that. So I'd, I'd have been bringing booze in. So the point yeah. is, America's gone through uh, so more. And, and I will say that here might be the encouragement instead of the Debbie Downer for your audience. Is a great man said to me years ago, and, um, it was General Schwarzkopf and we were we were in the green room backstage getting ready to do a speech. And he thank God I was on first because I did not want to go after him. You know what I mean? And he said a phrase that just struck me. Mm. And he said, Brian, America's an anvil that's worn out many a hammer. Mm. And I thought, you know what? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. America's an anvil that's yes. worn out many a hammer. And that's the big picture. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, I think it's in the people's DNA. People come here for the reason they want to be good. They want to be great. Yes, there's all the ideologies. There's such an argument, it's an argument culture now about being right. There's such instant judgment about everything. Yes. Right. Yes. Like they see, you see a text or you see a headline and we just judge people instantly. And, and I was taught, as you were taught, be slow to judge. Yes. Right. Be slow yes. to judge or you'll be judged like that yourself. 
Yes. And uh, I just think it's real important. So I'd say education is one of the things. Obviously, well, family quick, is a big real, thing. Real quick on that education yeah. piece, just to yeah. follow up. I have very deep roots in educational leadership. My dad spent his entire career in education. He was a mm -hmm. teacher. Then he was a principal. Then he was a superintendent of schools growing up. So I had a, a, a very strong uh, love and appreciation for education. I knew there were two things that I should do. I, sh I should excel in school and I should be good in sports. Mm -hmm. That was kind of my dad's ideology. <laughs> and uh, and the, the school thing was important because if, if the superintendent's kid got in trouble, that was going to be a very bad day at home. Mm -hmm. So I, I, knew, oh, yeah. Jeez. I knew that. But I had, and he was a public school uh, superintendent, phenomenal mm -hmm. leader. Yeah. Listen, listen to the community, was very engaged with parent groups very engaged with the board who ideologically many times was not on his side or they mm -hmm. had disagreements. Yeah. But what I loved about his example was he believed in education and, and the opportunity that education could give you. And more than that, it's what you said. It's not about teaching you what to think. It's teaching you how to think. Mm -hmm. And he taught me from the earliest age to have critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you take dissenting opinions or information right. and make sense of it and then decide what uh, how it fits with your value system, how it sits with your uh, view of life. And maybe it changes your view of life. And even now, so my dad has since passed. Uh, we, uh, my sister still, still is a teacher in the Fairfax County public school system. She's uh, probably one of the greatest teachers I've ever been around. It's right in the heart of us. Right. Oh boy. Is it ever. And she's, you know, we're kind of, uh, we're having those conversations about what do you do to continue to instill this critical mm. thinking and these values. But I think for us, it's it, there is a reawakening, like you said. I had that very experience that you talked about. My daughter was home from school uh, on the lockdown, school closings, and I got a firsthand eye and ear to what was being taught. And this is not a blanket statement for all teachers. This is mm -hmm. just one experience because I do believe there are millions of teachers who are amazing mm -hmm. and teaching great values and a love for America. But I got, I was witness to a conversation, uh, a group class conversation online through Zoom, where my daughter uh, expressed a dissenting opinion, a dissenting perspective, and mm -hmm. by the way, dissenting facts, which is also an interesting concept today. Mm -hmm. And she was uh, laughed at, ridiculed by the teacher, believe it or not, ridiculed by the teacher. And then it became a feeding frenzy where all the kids in the class started to jump on it. Mm -hmm. And I started to feed her more, just more facts, more things to consider. <laughs> and as she, she's a fighter, my daughter's a fighter. And I love that. Um, but she entered into it, but my eyes were open to what was really happening or what could happen behind mm -hmm. closed doors. And I think parents across America right now are waking up to the fact that there is, there can be an ideology that is being taught to their kids at, from the earliest ages to rewire the way they see things, to rewire their values, and to rewire the way they think. And they're finally standing up for it. Well, think about this, Jimmy. Think about the person who's very religious, who really can't enter into debate or discussion on what they believe. Yeah. It's because they're very insecure about what they believe. Mm. They don't really know what they believe and why they believe it. Right? So when somebody... Yeah. Somebody becomes uber defensive or aggressive or just ans answers in platitudes. And it's very easy to see that in the religious side of things. Mm. Here's the dynamic. That is every discussion now. Yes. That's every discussion now. So think about this. The best number one rated show on CNN mm. used to be a show called Crossfire. <laughs> and Crossfires would have two liberals and two conservatives on a panel. 
uh, and and I, I can't remember the two guys' names now, but I can picture them. And they would have the the different views on each topic of the day, and there are, and there always has been, right? I mean, it's interesting, right? And there's pragmatics and aesthetics. There's liberals and conservatives. I mean, that's the whole world over. It's just it's yeah. how people, you know, many of them fall in love, by the way, right? <laughs> Opposites attract. Yes. So uh, there used to be on Fox News. It was called Hannity and Combs, and Sean is as deeply conservative as you can get, and Alan Combs was a an old school tried and true liberal. And they used to debate things. Now, today on CNN, you could never have a program like that. And Fox, it's just Hannity and there's no more Combs. Now I know he's passed away and so on and so forth. The point is we've entered into areas of echo chambers. And and look, all of us, if we'll admit it, we have a bit of it ourselves, right? Because it's hard to listen to the other garbage Mm. that you don't agree with because it's often presented in emotionalistic terms or extreme terms, or this is all going to happen. If you don't agree with me, you're a this. And if you, you know, so it's gotten into that and whatever else. But I think the bigger picture is what is it? What is it that's common? What is it that's connected? So if I was to give you the the recipe for me, for me in my house, Mm. it's faith first, because when I have faith first, there's a lot of stuff in this life that people get their knickers in a twist in a very Irish phrase. That is just not that big a deal. You know, it's funny. You know, if you look at how Jesus in the Gospels would interact with the Pharisees, they were always trying to bring him down into the vaccine conversation of that day. What about taxes? Should you should you? Oh, should you pay taxes? Because you're you're paying taxes to our oppressor. Right. So the Roman Empire oppresses the Jews, does all these horrible things. Should we pay taxes to that? Hey, give me a coin. Whose face is on the coin? Great. Great. That's that's money. Taxes. Give to Caesar's what Caesar's. Now, here's the big answer. Give to God's what God. Mm. That's the bigger picture. And I think what's a bigger picture is, you know, for me, is that it is a good life. The reason I say it's a good life, not my idea. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said it was good. Yes. And he created man, man and woman. He created the animals five times. He said he looked at what he created, said, that's good. That's good. That's good. And then he looked back on all he created and he said, it's very good. Mm. By design, life is supposed to be good. It's not awesome. Like a Lego movie. Everything is awesome. That was the song. You remember? I do. Like life is not awesome. Mm. Life is. And people who tell you that life is awesome is selling you something. Life is not awesome. Inside the infinite love of God, there's a place for suffering. And we've all gone through it or are going through it. Yes. But life is designed to be good. And, you know, as in your particular passion and what you're trying to do right now, and I'm all supporting you and helping you any way I can, Jimmy, is that, you know, you're trying to bang the drum and sound the alarm and say, hey, you know, we come from a really good place, not perfect, not an awesome, not a not a country that doesn't have some things it's done that it's not. Geez, if we had to do over, we would do that differently yeah. or a second chance at that. There's a lot of every country has its history, both good and bad at things you learn from. But this is a good country with good people that has stood for good all over the world. You know, we used to sing the song in Europe. The Yanks are coming. The Yanks are coming. Mm. And when the Yanks showed up, things got good in World War One. When the Yanks showed up in World War Two, the ultimate tyranny was taken over the whole world. Mm. And if it wasn't for the Yanks, tyranny would have would have won the day. Okay, and so for for hundreds of years, you know, the Yanks were that. And so you're reminding people of that. And 
This was a place that you could live a good life, raise a good family, worship your God. Uh, if you had ambition, which most did, you could go and be as successful as you wanted to be, rise up the American dream, own a home. I was big into that. The American dream, open a business. I'm all about that. The American dream is that you can become as successful as you want to be. And it doesn't matter who your father was or who your mother was. It didn't matter your status. I grew up in a place that at that time, Ireland's changed somewhat in a lot of ways, but it was the class system. Yeah. And who your father was dictated who you were going to be wow. and who what what status you had in life was where you were going to be. You know, in France, mm. for the last 40 years, they have a top 20 list of the biggest companies in France. Mm. Do you know that 40 years ago, the same 20 companies were in the list as they are today? It's amazing because that's what happens in these other systems. Could you imagine that couldn't happen in America for one year? No. Not for not for one year. No. If you list the top 40, 20 companies, you know, I mean, who in the heck 20 years ago, no one, no one would have known. Amazon was a jungle. Right. right. Yes. 20 years ago, Google was glasses. You know, 20 years ago, GE was the biggest company. Right. And now they're struggling. I, hey, listen, I remember the days of Kodak. I grew up in Rochester, sure. New York, and Kodak was uh, was everywhere. In fact, I did sure. a speaking engagement there. They were bought by Alaris. Did a speaking engagement there, and the entire the entire uh, location is empty. It's the largest uh, you could put a city inside of Kodak, and now yeah. it's a totally different world. And it's competition. Competition. It's freedom. It makes everything better. You either get you get you grow or die. Yes. It's it's a fair system. The market tells you it it's better for the consumer. It's better for everybody else. It's not uh, it's not participation trophies. It's yeah. you're in the game. You've got to do well. You've got to keep meeting the needs of people. And that that's what made this country what it is. And that's yeah. what that's what the opportunity is. And by the way, it is underneath all the rhetoric and all the talk and all the politics and all the policies. Jimmy, I'm all over. I'm all over the place. And I have clients all over the place. We have mm -hmm. tens of thousands of clients. We train hundreds of thousands of people every year. Let me tell you this. Ambition is alive and well in America. Mm -hmm. People are still transforming their lives in America. We, we're in real estate and we still, you know, we coach other businesses now too, uh, 47 of them, to be honest with you. But we have, I, I, I did a seminar in Anaheim the other day. Okay. And, and people had to have, have masks and that, 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 this and that. And we were, you know, was, it was hard to pull off an event. <laughs> and in the front row was a lady who came to me. She had adopted two Asian girls. They were whatever, three and five years old. The husband takes off, leaves her in $250,000 worth of credit card debt. And uh, she's been in our coaching program for 20 years. She's sitting in the front row. She makes a million and a half dollars a year. She's raised these kids. They've gone on to medical school. Uh, she's a leader in her community up in Oregon. She gives back to, to uh, single moms. She gives back to the organization. She's a multimillionaire. She owns just dozens of properties. She's a huge success, a great human being who gives back to her community. And amazing. That, and, and you know what? We used to have the phrase. You remember the phrase? Only in America. Only, Only in America. America. You remember? It was Don King who used to say that. Only in America. And, um, and you know true, what? Right? It's and, still and going it's, on, Jimmy. It's still you know, going on. And you're exactly right. And I think your success is only limited by your mindset. It's what you believe can or can't happen. It's limited by your lack or your creativity and your tenacity. I mean, you've got to work. You've got to mm -hmm. work and you've got to be tenacious. Um, but every single person has control over their mindset, has control over their creativity and has control over their tenacity. Yeah. 
And that's a formula. And then I, what I love about it, what I love about this ambition that you're talking about is that it leads, it can in its, in its best form, it can lead to radical generosity. Like yes. you said, this, this woman is now generous. The people that have success, no, a life well-lived is a life lived for others, sure. right? To the glory of God. It's my full expression of who I'm made to be living with, you know, maximizing my potential, living with purpose and, and living with passion. And every single human being has that right, but it's expressed most uh, vividly here in America. And I was thinking, I had a conversation with my daughter, who's a freshman in college just this week. And she's talking about two different areas of passion, two areas of her life that she's passionate about that she may want to pursue. And I said, well, you know what? You may not know the specifics, but I do believe that you have an entrepreneurial spirit and an entrepreneurial spirit will apply to anything that you're passionate about, whether it's health, whether it's politics, whether it's building businesses, but that entrepreneurial spirit, which I've tried to uh, put up like you tried to transfer that belief system to them. That is what is going to sustain her. That's what's going to propel her to great success and ultimately to a, a life of meaning. Yeah. And the same is true for everyone that hears that message. Uh, you know, my son, Jake is, he works for uh, Charlie Kirk with turning point. Mm -hmm. And here's a young man who is passionate, very skilled, has deep personal convictions, lives courageously, and he's having incredible success, but he has sacrificed tremendously to be in a position where success can come. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the most uh, admirable things that I, that I see in him and my other kids. And you had to sacrifice, you know, all the way back to the beginning. I mean, you, you sacrificed everything to come here. Then you sacrificed to build something spectacular. And even now you continue to sacrifice in some ways to make life better for others. Jimmy, I, I, I mean, I'm no deaf. I love my staff and I'm all in it, but there is not a person in Buffini company who puts in more hours than I do. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 you know, the thing about it is without sacrifice, you know, sacrifice by its very nature, what we're, we're caught up in today is all end game, right? Yes. Right now, people are, I want to pursue my passion. I want to find my passion. I want to find my purpose. I want to, that, 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 you know, the, the, but they don't look at what it costs, right? Yeah. The, the word passion is, is, is a word called paseo. It's a, it's a Greek word, like most of our words are. And it means to suffer. You want to find your passion? What are you willing to suffer for? You know, you've started this new enterprise. You're already, you've already taken your lumps. Oh, yeah. And you have to give up. You were a man of great uh, position and influence in what, what you were doing before. And you have to take a step back and start over at ground zero. Yes. What are you willing to suffer for? You know, everyone wants to be an oak tree. Well, the acorn has to die. It has to land on the ground and die in order to grow. And that's how it is. You know, if you look at it in today in American society, the one place where we all still allow it to happen, pure Americanism is in sports. Sports is like the purest expression of American life. Yes. And people, they, they bust their hump, they sacrifice, they put in the work, they put in the effort, and then they go compete. And, we're, and we get to see there are people who are win and there are people who lose. There are people who win and people who lose. And then some of those people who lose learn from the losses and come back and win. And that's the expression of it. And we still get to see it. And oh, by the way, sports in America seems to still be doing very well. Why? Because it's really at the root of, of who we are and what we're all about. And so I, I'm, I'll say some things right now that are so basic and so practical and true that every, and, and what I'm about to say in some circles are extremely controversial. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And I have, I'm really not a very controversial figure. I'm not really interested in at all because I'm not interested in tweaking people and I'm not interested in winning arguments. So yeah. I'll say this. I'm a proud um, Irish born man who came to this country. I have been and I've traveled and, and done business, not gone on vacation. I've done business in 47 countries. Mm-hmm. So when you get integrated into the culture you've been, yes. I'm going to say this of everywhere I've been in the world, nothing comes close to America. Everywhere I've been in the world, I have never seen, and the stats prove it out, America is the most generous nation in the world. Americans give more money to charity and give more time to charity than any country in the world, and it's not even remotely close. As a man who's been 31 years now, just so you know, guess who's coming to dinner with Sidney Poitier, who just passed away? He was my hero. Um, When I married my bride, uh, interracial marriages in America were 2% of the population. And of those, 2% of the interracial marriages were where the man was white. Wow. Okay. So there's a minority position and then there's the hyper minority position. And I fell in love with my wife's spirit. She's, she's the, uh, uh, just a godly, phenomenal human being. Uh, Lou Holtz used to say about his wife, I used to pray for her. Now I pray to her. Okay. And so, <laughs> I, so we were the, the, the most minority of the most minority you could find. Mm. And here's what I will take, because I've shown pictures and I integrate my family's life story into every seminar I've ever given. Mm. And from my perspective, America is the least racist nation I've ever seen anywhere in the world. Wow. And I've gotten to experience all this stuff all over the world. Um, the most giving, the most entrepreneurial, uh, the least racist, the most likely to give you a shot, uh, the most enterprising. You know, America will take things like the Germans make the iPod, but Apple makes it big. Yeah. You follow yes. um, most promotional, most engaging and and still most free. And uh, it's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for. You know, Thomas Jefferson said all tyranny needs is for good men uh, to say and do nothing. Yes. And that that's how tyranny prospers. So well, I, I love what you're doing and what you're all about. And I do think there's a. There's a whole bunch of people feel the same way that they want oh, yeah. America to continue to be celebrated in the freedoms it uh, it offers. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's it's interesting to me that anything you just said would be controversial because I've experienced much of the same thing. And but I do understand that there is a dissenting opinion. And, and part of that dissenting opinion is being um, if you say something over and over enough, eventually some people will start to believe you, regardless of whether it's true or not. I think one of the things that has. Uh, has been most challenging, at least recently, is this whole cancel culture idea mm-hmm. that you started by saying, hey, we don't have debate anymore. You're right. And it's worse than that. Not only do we not have, have debate anymore that one side's just shouting at the other, but now we're actually silencing one side. Mm-hmm. Um, does that concern you at all? What, what are you seeing there? And, 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 and I'll even challenge you on that, Jimmy. You know, yeah. you know, the interesting thing about cancel culture mm-hmm. is those of us who, who are more conservative by nature uh, would find the the woke and the the cancel culture dynamic to be, you know, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. But cancel culture has knocked out liberals. Like I miss liberals. Oh yeah. I, I used to have great conversations with a lot of my liberal friends, yes. and I still have a number of liberal friends, but they just don't like to talk about that stuff anymore. Yeah. And the reason being is that they're not they're not they're not enough of one side, yeah. right? And so. That's a good point. The, the dynamic is it's it's uh, again, like I said, in, in our house has always been the house that all the kids came to. So I had 100 kids uh, from college 
and we did a big barbecue for him here at our house for the uh, for the uh, playoff games in the in the uh, football American football this weekend. And one of the things that really hit me, and all these kids are coming from different perspectives, because our house has always been we're Irish people. We have debate. We debate debate yeah. stuff with my kids. My kids aren't in lockstep with me and mom, and and opinions evolve and should evolve just like mine do. Do you get your feelings hurt? I mean, do, uh, do yeah. Irish get our? Do we get our feelings hurt? Nah. Oh yeah, we get. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, they say an Irishman forgets everything but the grudges, Jimmy. You know. <laughs> well, here's the thing. The one thing that was kind of frustrating to listen to these kids is they they were they had such a great time. We're watching the game. We fed them up. They were at a home. They were away from the college for a few hours and so on and so forth. But the biggest thing a, a number of them said that night was just it was great for them to be able to speak their mind. Yes. And they don't feel like they can speak their mind. And that's that's not a good scene. You know, that's not a healthy scene. So I just think uh, groupthink and conformity has always been with us. Um, and like I said, you know, for me, uh, I've made myself as successful as I can. And um, I have never in, a, in my life ever desired to offend a single person on the planet. I have no desire uh, to be right. So I don't, I might podcast and shows and seminars, aren't about political things or whatever else. Um, but I would tell you this, that, uh, you know, for me, I don't, I've put myself in a position where I don't give a rip who says something, right? We held this event the other day. It was a blessing to people. People were like, I just needed this so bad. I've been really in a funk. I've been really down. We had this great event. I posted it on video. Uh, and again, we were in we were in a particular we were in Anaheim. They, that convention center had very strict rules on what the, we had to do and what we had to comply with the health measures and everything else to pull this off event. And everyone in the audience had to comply with that. And that's what we had to do. So we did it. Here's the thing. The very first comment of all these people. And again, this, I put this post out and thousands of people saw it and whatever else. The first comment was that looks like a super spreader event. Ah. And, and it's unfortunate. And again, that's a person's perspective. And I get it. I respect. They're able, they're allowed to have that position. I get it. Okay. Yes. But the dynamic is there was an awful lot of people came away after two days feeling a hell of a lot better than they did before. Yes. And here's the deal. I respect, see, I respect that person to have that right. Mm -hmm. But I've worked hard to put myself in a position that whether that or whether that was a news media outlet or that was a sponsor or an advertiser or this and any other, it yes. doesn't matter to me at all. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, success is the great antidote for the council. Yes. yes. So ultimately, pursuing what we say is the American dream is the ultimate antidote for all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And here's the deal. I really, you know, I'm going to continue to do what I'm trying to do to bless people, to mm -hmm. serve people. I don't need to be right. And if people want to get on a job to try to cancel me, yeah, bring it on. Because, because I have faith in in, in, in yes. my people, my own staff, I have faith in our customers. I have faith in that we're doing the right thing. And if there's things we need to learn and things we need to grow from, I'll, I'll learn. If I need to say sorry for something that genuinely is not good, I will. I will. That's, right. that's just like in every relationship. Yeah, that's right. And I think you can live without fear. I mean, I think you're as a man of God, as a man of faith, I think that we can, uh, you know, trust in the sovereignty and the goodness of God, you know, and, and as you said, life is meant to be good. In fact, in our founding documents, you know, I think of, um, among our, uh, our unalienable rights, our life, liberty, and the pursuit of the good life. Okay. So I'm just going to, I'm going to insert the pursuit of a nice. good life. I like it. And I think it's true because that's what the pursuit of happiness is. Mm -hmm. It's this good, successful, altruistic, 
for others life, which is the most rich and satisfying life. And that's why I love what you're doing with It's a Good Life. I just think that that's a a platform we've got to we've got to uh, expand dramatically, which of course you're doing. And so how do we how do we I think you've given us a lot of encouragement. Our listeners are going to be encouraged by everything that you've said today. The question that I get asked most often by good people is, hey, what can I do? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I see what's happening. Yep. What can I do when you think of that? What would you tell our listeners is the best approach? I have a tapestry on my wall in my office right here in the studio. And it's from uh, a French monk, St. Irenaeus of Lyon. And it says, the glory of God is the human person fully alive. Yes. And I think rather than get caught up in the miserable counterpoint, counterpoint, because nobody's convincing anybody. Everybody's in echo chambers. Everybody argues. Here's the thing. Go live the good life and go let your light shine. Go and be an example. Go and be an example. Um, You know, uh, St. Augustine said, uh, share the gospel at all times and use words if absolutely necessary. Yes. And the fact of the matter is what we have to do is people who want to pursue the American dream, go pursue it with full gusto mm-hmm. and then just do this. Make sure you take people in the carpool lane with you. Yes. If you got a good marriage, there's a whole bunch of people struggling with marriage. Mm-hmm. Go and be a light to people who are, hey, be willing to go to coffee, be willing to connect. Maybe you're going to hold a small group and and have a little you know, uh, a marriage group. Let's say you got some good kids. Some people are really struggling with their kids. There's a lot of young people right now dealing with anxiety. You've, you've raised some, some good kids and great. Why don't you go and be of value? Maybe you have a good business. Maybe go and share what you got. If you got a bunch of dough, go share the dough. And so let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your God who's in heaven. That, that to me is where it's at. So, so go and be the good life and be it because at the end of the day all the words will go away mm-hmm. at the end especially now there's not a lot that's being said right now that's going to be recorded in human history and a hundred years from now people are going to be yeah. quoting a lot of the talk 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 and stuff and a lot of the stuff being rotisserized every night of the week it's not going to be memorized but what will be is a good life that's lived and lived the right way for the right reasons to the right end that influenced other people and uh, I think that's the that's where the magic is. So go be it rather than talk it. Go live it and bring people along. Be be a be an attraction to people. Yes. And you're doing something. I, I became a Christian in 1986 by a guy who was a Christian because he lived it every day. Yes. I didn't know anything about church. I didn't know anything about Bible thumping. I didn't know anything about televangelists. I didn't know any of that stuff. I just saw a real Christian and it so appealed to me. Yes. I I basically had this guy mentor me and it changed my whole life forever. And I hope that I can, I've been trying to do the same for others for the past 35 years. Well, I I know that you are, and you've had that effect on me. This is the best hour of 2022 for me, for sure. I actually want to go two hours now, (laughs) but, uh, and I think you're right. I came to Christ. I came to faith because of the examples of really, really good people living their faith out before me, including my brother and a handful of friends that God put in my life. And that's true. Let's be attractional. Let's create a positive vision for America. Let's live the good life and make it so attractional that any uh, counterfeit will be seen as, as not even an option. So Brian, thanks so much. Thanks for this last hour. Love doing life together with you and wish you the best. God bless you. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate it. Wish you the best in what you're doing.